Welcome to the Supergirl Supercast, part of the incomparable network of podcasts. Today we're going to be talking about Season 3, Episode 18 of Supergirl, titled Shelter from the Storm. I'm your host, David Schaub. And I'm Brianna Teuber. And here's the recap. Rain's trying to find and kill Ruby. The Legion prepares to head back to the future. John and Kara fight Rain, but are unprepared for purity and pestilence's powers. Sam's mother tries to redeem herself through self-sacrifice. Imra uses Supergirl's chances as an excuse to set Monel free to figure out his feelings. John looks to make Mirren feel useful, so asks for advice when fighting soulless evil. Lena is super reasonable and super helpful, while Kara is a jerk. She takes Lena's kryptonite anyway. Alex lies and lies and lies to Ruby, almost getting Ruby killed because of it. We'll see if anyone can be honest beyond the Luther. Alex, Monel, and Kara fight Rain and Win because of Lena and clever ethical debate. Oh, and there's something up with the followers of Raw. It felt like there was a lot of moving pieces in this episode. Yeah, and I was kind of sad about how long it took them to realize that Rain had purity and pestilence's power. Because I realized that at the end of the last of the previous episode, with the special glowing lights flowing into her, and I was like, oh no. She's now three times more powerful. This is the problem sometimes with TV shows, is you can never tell whether they're showing the viewer the same thing they're showing the people on the TV show. And this is a case where I don't know if everyone else saw those glowing things being collected by rain or not. I think the implication is that we saw those, but no one else did. And that just seems a bit strange. I kind of hope no one else saw, because if they did, then the world is being protected by a bunch of very unobservant morons. And I'd really rather not think that. We can go on to discuss how reasonable we think the people who are protecting the world is. There were a lot of things in this episode I really liked, and a bunch of things in this episode I have issues with. And we'll, we'll get there. There's less super science, at least. Yeah. Boy, there was so much last time. The episode opens with Lena and James presumably getting up together in the morning. And we get this thing where they agree or feel like they are feeling good about sharing each other's secrets. And start there. It was interesting to see just how far along that relationship was. Because, like, we haven't seen a whole lot of it. And I saw that I was like, oh, now I know exactly where they are in their relationship. It felt nice seeing them just be happy. It's almost rare to see sort of a domestic happiness in this show, and that was kind of nice. Yeah. The only thing that seemed strange to me was Lena says, I'm really glad I can tell you my secrets now. James says, me too, but he is still hiding the fact from her that he knows who Supergirl is. Because that's kind of not really his secret to tell who Supergirl is. And I'm sure Lena would be fine with that. But I might suggest, if I was to tell James' suggestions, that he could always say that I know this piece of information and it's not my secret to give, therefore I won't. And Lena would be absolutely fine with that, I suspect. But that's not what he does. I mean, I think to a degree she knows that they kind of have worked together, so we probably she probably figures he does know, maybe. But that, that is a good point that I hadn't thought about. I have to admit, though, that I truly loved the kryptonite bear spray, or perhaps anti-kryptonite spray that, was that Batman would have just loved. Beautiful. I 
when I saw that, I was just like, this is one of the many reasons I love Lena. Because who else but the thought of, like, aerosolized kryptonite? Exactly. And not only that, if she hadn't made any more kryptonite, they might be dead now. They would be dead, probably. Moving on, the next scene we have is John talking with his father. Not much covered in this initial scene, other than the fact that clearly Mirren's still having some difficulties, and there's initial discussions of mochas. That that started out just like, it was just so cute, and he was so excited. And like I had to pause for a minute, because I was just like, it's so precious. And then when the conversation happened again, I was like, oh... This hurts now. All of these conversations have a very bittersweet aspect to them, where it is very nice seeing Mirren and John interact, but it is definitely a little sad as well. And I think they're doing an amazing job of presenting that. Yeah, because it's, it's hard, because even in the short time, we've grown kind of attached to Mirren. And we also are very attached to John, so it's really hard seeing him have to go through this. Yeah, they're all powerful scenes. And it's also understandable why Mirren's depressed, because he survived all of that, and now he's losing everything, slowly. The next scene jumps us to the Legion ship. I was happy to see the details that there were actually other Legionnaires on the ship. We saw at least three of them. I don't know how many of them there were, but I was rather surprised to hear that they were still asleep because they were actually infected with blight. Yeah, I had always been wondering why there weren't more Legionnaires, but then you find out that there were, and there's a reason that they weren't awake, and I was like, oh, that that makes a lot of sense in many ways. And I'm actually really curious, Just I kind of wanted them to wake them up so we could beat them. That was part of my response. I had two, and one was, if you have all these people from the future infected with blight, should you really have brought them into the past risking blight to be released even earlier. That was one brief thought. But the real one was, I think, a budget limitation problem, which is why in the world didn't they wake them up? It is a good question about if they were infected, why? maybe they just brought them along because they knew they could hold them in a sort of stasis so they couldn't get any worse. And that may have been the only place for them to hold them in stasis. There's plausible reasons for it. It just seemed a little strange. Yeah, that could have gone wrong. And that would have been really interesting if it had gone wrong. The other aspect of the time travel here is we see this response that the Legionnaires are now cured. They don't wake them up, but also they seem to believe they know exactly what's going on in the future right now. And considering how much they've changed the future, that seems a bit strange. Yeah, also, this show doesn't care about changing the future, even though we've literally seen what going into the past and changing the future does. Yeah, let's not get into the time travel debate. Best to leave that alone. Brainiac is yet again used as the butt of jokes. I'm beginning to feel far too many times. Yeah, just, I I feel bad for him because he could be such a cool character, but not really. I like the acting. I like about a third of how they use him, but then they keep tend to use him for bad jokes and making fun of the New York Mets and lots of other things that don't really make a lot of sense, but I don't know. Yeah, because he's like supposed to be super smart, but they don't use that as his character-defining trait. And after the show has shown many men perfectly able to give perfectly reasonable hugs to each other, having the bro-hug joke just seemed a bit ridiculous. Yeah, that was that was weird. 
And kind of funny, though. We also see Kara and Alex saying goodbye. And Kara says goodbye to Monel with, I'm really going to miss your friendship, which seems to make Monel cringe a little bit, which is a little disturbing. Yeah, I I get the feeling that, like, she's healed and ready to move on, but it doesn't seem like he is, which kind of makes me want to facepalm because Monel, you have a wife. Well, he has a wife who's giving him a lot of very knowing eyes. I think Imra in this episode shows a lot of emotional maturity, which perhaps a bunch of other people don't have. I don't quite know if I agree with how this is going to play out, but it's interesting to see. And they do always give Imra a chance to show her reaction to a bunch of these scenes. Yeah, with the whole she's letting him stay behind, and then he made a comment about how he's going to follow them. And I'm just sitting here wondering... How? How do you plan on doing that? Is is that hole that no one knew was there still there and going to take you to the exact same place where it took you the first time? I kind of gave up worrying about that, though I did have the same question. It's like, is there always this random time hole in space? Like, what is going on? They then get news of the attack on James and Lena. So everyone rushes over to Lena's apartment. Yeah, that that was a one way to ruin their nice, pleasant morning. The biggest thing I was first surprised with is no one seems to comment on the fact that it appears that James was already there and presumably there overnight. Did we miss the point where they made their relationship known to everyone? I I don't know if they've like publicly announced it, but I do believe with James's connection to the DEO like in Kara. He has told them something about that. But, yeah, I I didn't notice that no one seemed to really react to the fact that they're probably... Maybe they just thought that, like, she was attacked, so he came to be there for her. I don't know. That's it's a, possible. That's a good question. This is also one of the first of many times where Lena is very reasonable and very sharing shares the fact that electricity is a plausible weapon against rain. And while she tries to resist Alex's questions about Ruby's location, for very good reason, she does also give that information out. So this is, again, Lena being very reasonable, very honest, and very communicative. Yeah, and she trusts Alex. I think she was just worried that somehow, like, Alex being there might inadvertently lead to rain finding out. And it kind of does, but... Not in a way she could have known, but it was also a really interesting chance to get to see Lex's banner. That is an exciting mansion. Yeah. One of the pieces of information Lena gives leads Kara and John to go to Sam's mother's house, Patricia, on the belief that Rain may go there looking for Ruby. Yeah, that it was interesting seeing them interact with Sam's mom, especially how like she's she knew. She knew, but I'm surprised. Well, I don't know if I'm surprised or not that she never told anyone. But it's possible it, she wouldn't know who to tell either. And it kind of broke my heart that she blamed herself. She thought that it was her fault for being a tough mother. And yes, she was maybe not the most open-minded and accepting of mothers, but she could have been like a mother of the year, and that wouldn't have stopped the fact that Rain was that Sam was more or less born to become Rain. Yeah, it's an interesting position to put Patricia in where she blames herself due to her poor behavior, but 
it's really not her fault regarding rain. It kind of acts as sort of a parallel story. And I like actually quite liked how it fit together. And it was it was so sad when she faced down with rain. She's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And it was just so sweet and so touching and it it kinda hurt when she died. It really did, and it was well played. And I really liked what that actor did with the role. Yeah, even though she, this is like the second time we've seen her, it was still she like she's in two episodes and she's shown some surprising growth. Yes, definitely. This show likes growth, even if it seems to try and force it. Yeah, that that was enforced, and I liked it, and I was sad when she died. After Alex arrives at the mansion. We also get to start to see her lying to Ruby. How do you tell your, how do you tell like a 12 year old, how old is she again? She's, I believe, 12. Yeah. How do you tell a 12 year old that her mom is the Kryptonian like super villain that's been terrorizing everything? Like when she's like, I'm 12, I can handle it. I'm like, honey, I don't think like. 30-year-olds could handle finding out that their mom is a supervillain who murders people. Perhaps not, but I would argue that it's more of a question of what will help protect Ruby the most. And without a doubt, Ruby knowing would have helped her the most because Ruby wouldn't have been found had Alex been honest with her. Yeah, she she wouldn't have reached out, but it's that's got to be hard to explain to a kid. Even though, because... Since we know for a fact that there's like a difference between Sam and Rain and Rain takes over Sam, they could definitely use that as a way to be like, there could still be a way to save your mother. It's not your mom doing these things. She's being taken over and it's Rain. If, then we also might have to deal with Ruby trying to go sort of vigilante and save her mother, but... I don't think that would have happened. Yeah, that that might have happened until later, but... What ended up happening was a hard way to find out. Exactly. Rain does show up at the farmhouse, as expected. And for some reason, she can look through walls, but she only sees silhouettes of people through walls. And I don't know if that's actually normally the way the x-ray vision is presented. I I suppose. I just have one comment for what happened before she got in. Because there is like the special like keypad that you have to enter a specific code that only a few people know to be ah. able to take down security. And she just punches it. And I'm like, that's not how technology works. That should not have taken down the entire security system. That should have sent everything down into lockdown. On the incomparable Slack, I recently did a brief rant on why shooting and breaking locks should never have the desired outcome of opening and or closing and or unlocking doors or locking doors who knows and this is certainly an example of that very weak trope either that or legs is because like it was a genius building this place and then that worked i'm just like it's also unclear if the (coughs) holographic shield was actually enough to block x-ray vision or not they didn't really cover that yeah, because she didn't really try and x-ray vision it. But just punching the keypad does not take down the entire security system. That's not how security systems work. I'm afraid you have thousands and thousands of writers who apparently disagree with you. And you're right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a writer and I will fight all of them. Except for not actually, that would go poorly. 
And we do see then them uh, trying to take on Rain, and it seemed to be going reasonably well up to the point where Rain showed that, yes, she does actually have all of Purity and Pestilence's powers. And uh, John, caught by surprise, is taken down by Purity's blast. Yeah, I was just like, there we go. Now they know that she now has three different things of powers, but now I'm also wondering, like, because technically Pestilence still exists. Well, they explicitly say that that does not matter and that rain does not become blight and the blight is now solved. And they have their people in a jar to prove that. And I guess we just have to believe Bernie is correct in that regard. Yeah, yeah, I can go with that. John is hurt and Kara uh, wisely retreats. They take Patricia back to the DEO where she unfortunately dies after asking Supergirl to send a few messages. I was a little disappointed we never hear those messages being delivered, but... Yeah, it it kind of drove in the sadness of Patricia's death that she never gets to meet her granddaughter. No doubt. And probably did not make Ruby's night easier, getting the message that her grandmother loves her and told her that on her deathbed after being stabbed in the gut by her daughter. The show's attempt to give very quick redemption arc to Patricia seemed reasonably well played, at least. Yeah, but just can't deny Ruby is not having a good time. No. On the Legion ship, we have Brainy, who gives basically this line. On their own, they have a 51% chance of success. Ironically, if only one Legionnaire stayed behind, their success rate jumps to 88.8%. I don't know where he gets these numbers from, but it certainly gives this out for her to send Monel back. Yeah, because it's kind of written all over his face that he's not thrilled to be leaving. They yet again give us a shot of Imra looking towards him knowingly. Because it's kind of written all over his face. After that, we get back to Elcorp, and James is being super, super reasonable in his arguments for why she should take her kryptonite to Supergirl. It's a pity that I'm just listening to him and saying to myself, yeah, that's not how Supergirl is going to respond. Yeah, it's one of those, like, I would love it if she responded like that, but are you sure this is Supergirl you're talking about? (laughs) We didn't believe it. Lena didn't believe it. Alex might react like that. Alex might, but Alex is not a Kryptonian. No, because Kryptonians, if you even mention Kryptonite, they get so offended and take it as a personal affront like you're trying to kill them. Oh, and there's more of that later on in the episode. (laughs) Yep. First, we see Alex lying to Ruby more. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's not going to come back to bite her. And Rain looking and looking and looking. At one point, though, we see this conversation between Kara and John regarding how to get through to Rain. And she gives this line of, White Martians are as soulless as Rain. And I'm trying to interpret this anything else other than Kryptonian racism. I don't know if there's a way to make that any to make that not racist. There's a whole pile of white Martians that are currently trying to stop the white Martian society oh, from being mean. We def th- that entire thing has not been addressed in the longest time. I did expect us to see more of the white Martians this season, and maybe we still. There are some episodes left, so we'll have to see. I don't know. That'd be really interesting if they came in at the end to fight Rain, and Rain's just like, what are these things? What is going on? But it does lead Kara and Jean to go and talk to Mirren, 
and try and find out how he tried to respond or talk or change the opinions of the White Martians. Which was basically, figuratively speaking, talk to them in a language that they understand. That is basically what he said, but there was lots of lines in between that didn't make any sense. Like, he started with that. Mirren said, I can't persuade you of anything you don't already believe in. And that line makes perfect sense. And then they go on to this discussions about the secret scrolls and knowledge about the scrolls, and I don't know how any of that had any bearing on it. He had information and knowledge on their religion that apparently they didn't. I suppose, but that really doesn't directly lead to Rain at all. It certainly did give them the idea of take on Rain with Rain's Code of Justice, which really isn't a bad plan. Yeah, that I was actually that worked really well, and I was kind of glad that they used that to basically protect Ruby because that was really smart. It was very nice to see it smartly used. I don't know if it actually ended up mattering, but it was definitely smart to use that, and that was a Supergirl-like solution. Yeah, she's finally realizing, like, even though you can't talk to the humans, even though you can't really talk to the Sam side of things, you can talk to the Rain side of things, and there are ways to do it. You just gotta know which buttons to push. Exactly. However, first we have to deal with Imra. As far as I can tell, telling Monel the if-you-love-them-set-them-free solution to their current drama. Yeah, I was really hoping that this didn't go love triangle, and it didn't go love triangle like I thought it would, but we still have Monel torn between two people. I'm not sure how I feel about it. If we now have multiple episodes of Monel hitting on Kara, I don't know how well that's going to go. I, <laughs> if he starts hitting on her, I want her to sit him down and be like, dude, I don't know if you know this. But you have a wife. I like your wife. I'm friends with your wife. You need to go back to your wife and stop hitting on me. I just don't know how they're going to play that out. So all we can do is watch and see the drama unfold. Yeah, I'm just... Don't don't go full love triangle on me, please. I'll be disappointed in the show, and I love this show. However, but... in the episode, Lena then does do the right thing because... Lena is apparently smart and right and relatively honest at this point, and gives the kryptonite to Supergirl. Oh, but but that dressing down she gives her? Ooh. I really find it kind of funny when, after doing a podcast where I start laying down arguments for why someone did something dumb, in the next episode, Lena lays down some of the exactly the same arguments. <laughs> it, and it was so good. It's because it, she's basically like, look, there's one thing that can kill you. But there are thousands of things that can kill me. And, like, I get into one of them every day. And Kara doesn't make any progress in this conversation. At best, she ends it with, I need to be the only person in control of kryptonite on this planet, which yeah, is like, just ridiculous. There was some legitimacy as to, like, how painful kryptonite is to her, but painful, this is yes. the only thing that can kill you. And you're just like, I'm the only one that can have this. But you also want to have ways to deal with people if they go bad so you can take them down. But no one's allowed to have something that could possibly hurt you. And even then, kryptonite, it might be really painful for Supergirl, but there's a ton of things that are way more lethal to humans. You could kill a human with a butter knife. Not just that, but <laughs> kryptonite's giving off radiation that 
certainly hurts Supergirl, but you throw some uranium in that office, they're all going to die. And Supergirl generally gets better after being away from the kryptonite. Yeah, you don't really get better after being exposed to radiation if you're human. Humans are a lot squishier than most species. And far squishier than Kryptonian. Yeah. And Lena told her that she used it. And Lena's never done anything in Supergirl. She's helped save the world several times. Kara personally has a friendship with Lena, so she knows Lena's a good person and not a killer. And yes, Lena should have said something about Sam, but her logic was sound on why she didn't. I'm hoping that the tide has turned. We'll see how that goes going forward. However, we first have to deal with Alex leaving her phone out, and therefore Ruby calls her mom. And I have three questions here which I don't understand. Number one, why did Alex lie to Ruby causing her to do this? Number two, why is the phone not locked? Number three, how in the world did Rain hear it anyway? Doesn't Supergirl also have super hearing? It's possible. The suggestion might just be that it has nothing to do with the phone and it's just because Ruby walked out of the house and started talking that that was sufficient. Yeah, that, that's what it looked like. And I think we've before seen Kara use super hearing to find someone. Just because she heard someone's heartbeat in, in a submarine underwater. I don't know. Well, there was also the time in the one flashback episode where she, Alex was cornered and she used her super hearing to find out where she was. Yeah, it's true. And either way, all of this is Alex's fault. Yeah. And I'm like, Alex, you're a super spy. Why is there no password on your phone? <laughs> and even better, why do you ever leave your phone anywhere, especially in this kind of situation. We would have to ask the writers. But it does lead to Rain attacking the building. It was actually probably the best least sort of deus ex machina way they could think of to get Rain to find out where they were. I suppose. I suppose. What I want to know is when Rain's hunting them, why does she sound like a big cat? She does kind of sound like a cat. (laughs) But then she turns off her villain voice and that's still not how sam sounds the tone is sam does not talk like that yeah she did that in the farmhouse it's a pity we lost purity because i think of the three actors i think she did the best job of playing both roles really well yeah yeah that was true but but also with pestilence but that's because that she just completely accepted her side so there was really no difference between them While Rain's hunting, we get to see her do a little gauntlet of machine guns and fire and ice, which, of course, she just walks through very nice. And this is, I think, something we've seen in other Superman movies, shows, comics quite a bit. Because Lex set this up to keep Superman out. And, of course, the bulletproof everything but kryptonite-proof Kryptonians would be dazed by bullets, fire, and ice. It definitely felt like something made by Lex Luthor. But he had to know it wouldn't do anything to a Kryptonian, right? Always hopeful. He could have just laid in the halls with Kryptonite. Just like a little thin layer. Actually, why isn't this all of the walls of this place full of Kryptonite for that matter? But hey. It doesn't even have to be a large amount. Just enough to where they're like super weak by the time they get to wherever they're going. And then fill them full of bullets. I'm tempted to think that Lex Luthor would always want to use his Kryptonite offensively instead of defensively. But we do then get a big fight. What did you think of this fight? I 
cringed every time they crashed through priceless painting. I did notice that. The amount of priceless art that was probably destroyed in this fight was so high. <laughs> they, they have no qualms about destroying priceless artifacts, do they? Or, like, art and just... It, it hurts. Yeah, it definitely hurt a bit. Overall, I kind of liked the fight itself. I thought it was, I suppose, well choreographed and well played out. And they used the cape fighting techniques relatively cleverly. It, yeah. it worked fairly well for me. And some of it looked really cool. And I was really happy when they gave Ruby this chance to try and like pick up the Gatling gun and try and do something. And then, of course, she's entirely broken when she realizes who Rain is because Rain's mask had fallen off. Yeah, and something else I noticed is Ruby's wearing her Supergirl necklace. She was, yes. So I'm just like, oh, that... It's kind of sweet, but she's... I'm also surprised. Ruby was fully prepared to just, like, shoot countless bullets into this villain. I think it might be said that when she said she could handle it, she may have been right. Yeah. I, yeah, she, she is a tough girl, but it's... She would have handled it better if she, if that had not been how she found out. Exactly. Again, warning would have helped. And she probably wouldn't have picked up the Gatling gun against her mother, but at least she would have had warning. She could have used herself as a distraction. That's true. That would have been brave and smart. And had more time to think through things she could say to her mom to bring her mom out instead of just being shocked that, what the heck, my mom's a supervillain. I still have hope that they will use Ruby to try and help rescue Sam from Rain. Yeah. Maybe maybe they could use like some sort of like psychic way because we've seen someone, we, we've seen it before where Rain was destabilized by thinking about Ruby and we know a certain blonde telepath that is really good at messing with people's minds. I'd go an even more super sciencey path. I'll place bets that if it's not just Ruby talking Rain down to Sam, we're going to get more blood transfusions. Blood transfusions? So it's always possible something in Ruby's blood will solve Lena's problem of how to cure Rain. But we'll see. Yeah, because she would... Isn't Ruby technically like half Kryptonian? Well, she's half world killer. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Maybe. Something like that. Except Sam wasn't full world killer, so... There could be really interesting implications to that. They could have a lot of fun with that. We'll see. However, that isn't what helps defeat Rain here. What helps defeat Rain is, first, Supergirl uses Rain's code of honor against her, which definitely seems to make Rain pause. And I would have really liked that to be it, but then, basically, as far as I can tell, Monel mashes a bunch of, of kryptonite into a Gatling gun, which somehow works. There's a super science problem there. Yeah, not sure if that's how Gatling guns work. That's definitely not how Gatling guns work. <laughs> and none of the technology in this place works like it's supposed to. There's a reason Lena's smarter. There's a le reason Lena's been able to do stuff like never could. It just seemed a bit hard to watch. Instead of Supergirl's solution using the Code of Honor against her as being it, all it really seemed to do was cause a delay and maybe make Rain turn around for a moment. But really. The Gatling gun full of kryptonite is what solved the problem. And now they have Rain imprisoned, and what are they going to do next? Well, we have Supergirl apologizing in a relatively weak way to Lena. Yeah, that apology ain't cutting it. You, she, she's been kind of... Yeah, that that's 
it's not the kind of thing where you can just make a single apology for. Especially after all that Lena's done to help multiple times. We then get a bookend on the Mirren storyline where John thanks his father for helping. And it is both happy and sad in its very bittersweet kind of way. Because he Mirren has no memory of that conversation. Though as far as I can tell, the internet is full of choco coffee recipes. Dang it, now I want some. <laughs> we get the required growth from Alex, where she admits that she screwed up. Yeah, she meant well. And she, like, we know she cares about both of them. And how exactly do you explain that to someone? I, it's hard, but she did still make the wrong call, and she now at least realizes it. What I'd like to know is, she says, from here on out, I'll always be honest with you. And in this show, that's a big promise to make to someone. <coughs> yeah, we'll see whether she keeps that promise and just what that promise might lead to. We'll see. On the other hand, we do now get what is easily my favorite scene in the entire episode. This is Lena and Kara together in the elevator. I was... This is the first time we've seen Kara, like, wasn't she, like, going to work or something for the I first time going... in how long? I may have misinterpreted. I thought they were going to visit Ruby. I think they were in the Catco building, though. Was it? I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. Honestly, where they are didn't matter. I thought Lena was bringing ice cream for Ruby or something. Oh, that makes more sense. I just thought, oh my gosh, is Kara, like, actually going to work for once? No, they couldn't have that happen. Because I've been trying to figure out, does she still have a job? Because if not, can I have her old job? <laughs> Only slightly joking. I really adore where Lena really lays it on really thick about how unhappy she is with Supergirl Takara. And given my statement of the last podcast, which is I'm pretty firm in my belief that Lena knows Kara's Supergirl, I think this is pretty sweet. Oh, yeah. I just... I've... Act Cause like I didn't listen to that episode yet, but I have. I did start recently wondering. I'm like, you know what? How much you want to bet? Lena already knows. So when the reveal happened, she's like, "Oh, I knew. I've known since this event that happened rarely, pretty early a couple seasons ago. I was just waiting to see how long it would take you to get the guts to tell me." I honestly do think that's how it will play out. It's just hard to imagine writing the scene. And having Lena not know. Lena has so much more information even than she did before. Yeah, especially with, like, earlier in the episode when she's like, when Kara's like, I trust you. And Lena's like, okay, what's your name? Just, like, the look on her face. It wasn't like, I'm honestly curious. It's, I just want to see if you'll actually tell me. And there's the same thing in this elevator scene. Lena gives Kara some amazing glances while giving this spiel. I'll be absolutely shocked if Lena doesn't know at this point. Oh, that's that would be a fascinating conversation. The real hope here is that Kara actually takes something Lena says to heart, given that she doesn't think Lena's talking to Supergirl, and maybe Kara realizes that she has been acting unreasonable. Yeah. Well, whenever Lena finds out, I want to be on that. I want to be on the podcast for that. I want to make sure I'm on the podcast for that. And now that I've said that, that will probably end up being the one weekend I can't. Time will tell. Because that's how my life works. And the final scene is a tease, I assume, for the next episode with uh, Tanya, an apparent follower of Cawville, the followers of Raw, as she steals a journal. 
Yeah, I was wondering what happened to him. Yeah, it's an interesting point because the fortress collapsed, but last we saw he was in the fortress. Presumably that either was he like died there several or episodes I bet ago. On that. Exactly. So there's some know. plot. Some plot about the follower of Ra is coming. He, was there anything else? He may have left the fortress to go and continue building that. And that might be because who knows what he was privy to, and that might be the, some of the contents of the journal. I, I'd be pretty surprised if we weren't going to see him at least one more time. I really hope so. He, he's an interesting character, and I want him to more or less somehow be the thing that triggers the sort of like end game part of the scene, part of it, like where things turn into the end game, and there's just the final battle. It'll be interesting to see. There's only so many episodes left in the season. Did you have any other thoughts you wanted to share about this episode? It was really good. And I'm curious to see if these conversations will have any impact on Kara. And it would also be interesting to see if she, like, reaches out to Clark. Just being like, theoretically, if this happened, what would you do? And That would be an interesting conversation. Yeah, especially if he's, like, if he has... An approach that's, if he has a reaction that's kind of closer to Lena, I mean, like, sometimes you just have to trust people, especially given what you're dealing with. Also, why has Clark not helped with this? You always have that problem in large universe shows with lots of heroes in lots of different places, and it's never a good idea to think about it too much. Yeah. I was actually, I was thinking about some of the stuff to a friend of mine. She's like, are there any magic users? I'm like, not in that universe. But she could use her little, like, garage door opener thingy that Cisco gave her, go to that universe, and find a way to get in contact with John Constantine. <laughs> Who knows? That would, be, that would be really awkward, but that'd be hilarious. That wraps up this episode. We'll have to see what happens next. I highly doubt it'll be John Constantine, but that would be great. I'd like to thank the Incomparable Network for hosting us. Thanks to our audio editor, Seth Heasley, for making us sound much better than we are. Also, thank you all our listeners out there. We'd love to continue this discussion on the Incomparable Facebook group, the members' Slack channel, and Twitter at SG Supercast. Finally, thank you, Brianna. Good to be here, even though I don't sound all that great, because allergies are a thing. We'll be back following the next episode of Supergirl.